Hello and welcome back to episode two of the Cloak and Dagger podcast. My name is Patrick. I am joined as ever by my co-host, Will. Will Davis Coleman. How are you, Pat? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? We're on episode two. This is fun. I know. I know. And after the first episode, I'm glad that we're now, I can now sort of sit back and watch you take the lead. It's nice. I like this. So... (laughs) As we, if, if you didn't listen to last week's episode, yeah, we'll be going back and forth, sort of who's leading and who's done the research and who will be telling the assassination tale to the other. Um, but yeah, I'm excited. It's fun. It's ugh, I've missed. See, I haven't really researched history properly or for any like official reason since A-level, which was years and years <laughs> ago, which is weird, but it's really... And also, although it is quite fun doing this without some sort of test or, you know... Um, oh, no, this is graded. Like this is graded. Oh, this is it. Oh. The public oh, yeah, are going to be are going to be judging you. I mean, I mean that is the thing. Yeah, I, I mean, if if we have, I don't know if, wherever we're putting this as a comment section, but comment sections seem to be the harshest critics. Yeah, you know, the way Instagram. harsher than um, any teacher or any examination board I've ever had before. Yeah. Um, but you know, I don't have to listen to them. It's you know, my future doesn't depend on it. So um, absolutely, which is a bit nicer. So what um, are we talking but, about today? So today I have gone, we've gone quite far um, out of since last week. We are now in ancient India, which is a region and a time that I knew very little about before going into this. I don't know if you know that much about it. Very little, very little, except for the fact that Alexander the Great did get over there. About He got very close. Yeah, that'll be part of this episode. He kind, This is kind of the boundary of how far he got, which is weird because it is kind of also the boundary of what our Western history education kind of goes to. We don't really branch out too much. Um, I don't that's, know, that's very pro- true. I had never thought of that before. But we yeah, we do yeah. only go as far as Alexander the Great. We don't think yeah. about like how India, ancient India is part of the same world as ancient Greece, which obviously it is. We and kind of don't. Egypt, right? We don't become interested. Uh, I mean, which is a sh- such a shame. But we sort of don't. As and this is true for most of the world. We don't really become interested until Britain invades, which is and colonizes. Oh, that's so, so morbid, isn't is, it? Yeah, yeah, it's kind of. And so it's interesting. Yeah, that our our ancient world is based on these sort of Western conquerors, and then our more modern history tends to be based on more modern conquerings of the of the, from the West, which is kind of sad. And I know there's lots of people nowadays, and I'm. A big supporter of it that you know to teach Britain's slightly awful colonial past to, in schools and stuff because there's just so much we don't and this is I mean this series will really dive into it but there's so much we don't get taught and it's amazing this this stuff um, there's so much out there to learn and that's the thing you never yeah. stop learning that's so cliche but it's true and yeah I mean yeah. I I've, especially I've about been, history yeah I mean I live and breathe history and I I'm learning new things every single time I I get to my laptop you know so it's a it's it's a, a lot to learn out there. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah. I'm really looking forward to this week's one. What what in particular are we talking about in ancient India? So, it is these strange assassins known as the Vishakanya, which are female poison assassins who are used for nefarious means and they're kind of of legend. Um but we do have a a fairly backed up story of them being possibly used. It's all a bit vague because it is a very old story, but it's it's the best I could do. It's <laughs> it's Brilliant. very ancient and therefore it's all myths, so it's it's still interesting to us. Well, let's dive in. So we are around 300 BCE in the Indian northern Indian subcontinent, um, and we're looking at 
these these women that lived back in this time um, called the Vishakanya, which in Sanskrit means poison girl or poison damsel, depending on your translation. Ooh. And the main reason we know about them is from a book that was written, a kind of a manual for statecraft called the Artha Shastra. And it's kind of considered a sort of Indian version of Machiavelli's The Prince, although... You know, oh, written, yes thousand years beforehand so you know it could be you know we probably should say the prince is more of a taking off the arthur shastra Um, yeah but yeah it's this it's this great book that really explains it's a guide to rulers about um how to be and how to run an effective empire or a kingdom um how to control your populace how to control the other noble families and the other people around you um and it is written by a man who will be very important in our story later called chanakia who is a philosopher, very educated man of the time, um, lived in northern um, India, was highly educated at the universities or their equivalent of universities at the time. And so he wrote this book all about um, ruling a kingdom. And there's some really extraordinary stuff in there, all sorts of stuff about um, how to control the populace, how to go to war, um, who your allies should be. But of a particular interest for us is a section on spycraft. It's very cool Ooh. to learn about spycraft of the ages. I mean, I guess people are always interested in this, interested in this stuff. And it's so important, I guess, for rulers to be able to control, to use these methods to influence the world around them. Yeah, like non-public. You, you wouldn't want to like air this part of the statecraft out. It's kind no. of just for like the subterfuge, trying to that, get that's... around certain... It's an interesting thing. I have no idea how... I assume This will have been... I mean, this is written for kings. It's written for emperors. But how many people could read? That's the thing. Exactly. Have mass yeah. literacy. So it's not exactly. like... Yeah. You know, and I'm sure there would have been some minor rulers around themselves who couldn't read. And so this was for educated men and the the, the, the highest of the high. Um, yeah. So, yeah, these, these sort of hidden secrets of spycraft um, are locked within this, this tome. Um, so it goes into different ways you can use spies. And it's really interesting. There's some really weird, strange ways it recommends using spies, like having them as cooks or as maidservants or as doctors in your enemy's encampment or even within your own um, palaces and stuff like that so that you can keep watch on Ooh. your on your rivals. Um, they even have some descriptions on how uh, a spy could be an astrologer, which is a, an actual job back in the day. You were, it was an <laughs> official title that was considered... A very scientific person who was an astrologer. Um, I'll, I'll try and leave out my. I love how astrology. Yeah, I was going to say, as a physicist, <laughs> you're struggling <laughs> with the concept of an astrologer being an academic. Yes, yes, but I mean, you know, this is you know, this is over two thousand years ago. They can be excused for not realizing that it's all a bit rubbish. But yeah, these these they were, and it talks about how astrologers can be used to so dissent in rival kingdoms by perhaps you know hinting oh this sort of advisor or these uh lower nobles um in this region maybe maybe you should be king maybe you should overthrow this guy maybe maybe and it's just all these strange ways it's that they can written in the stars you exactly yeah <laughs> and you know back then people that that was the 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 world was so unknown to them that that could be you know if they believed the stars were telling them to revolt and take over I think you'd yeah. well believe it, wouldn't you? I mean, you know, who are you to argue with an astrologer? Um, <laughs> yeah, that's so, interesting. Yeah, so there's some really interesting stuff in there. But then one of the passages is about um, 
particularly about how women can also be assassins and spies, which is an interesting idea because obviously, you know, this is still back hugely before women are considered equals to men. Um, I think especially in Indian subconsciously, a lot of their traditions, it's very caste-based, it's very, there's there's clear hierarchy. But then when it comes to spycraft and when it comes to political intrigue, you can use whatever tools are available to you. Well, you, I think that makes sense, though, because if women are, for want of a better word, invisible within this society, they can come and go without being noticed. As you know, if your maidservant came in, you wouldn't think to think, oh, that that woman might kill me. It's more, oh, she's going to go and tidy the room. Exactly. Sort They're of almost thing. part of the furniture, which is which is terrible which is horrible for but... them. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's a very cruel way to look at them. But then allows this perfect it, opportunity it adds for to their assassins. Art. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Which is interesting because then this so this is this is much more this much more like undercover spies. Whereas you know last week the assassins were a warrior cast. You know they were they're very obvious assassins. These are hidden figures. They are they are behind hidden the scenes. Hidden in plain sight. Hidden in plain sight is exactly. Um, and very so, cool. Yeah. So it talks about these women and they can be in different worlds. Obviously, like maidservants. Maybe even probably not astrologers. I imagine that's probably held for the. You know, the men. The wizards men with like Wiz- long beards. That yes, sort of thing. basically wizards. Yeah. Um, but then <laughs> yeah. one of these types of assassins is called the Vishakanya. And these are women who have been from a very young age fed on a diet of poison and the antidote to that poison. And over time, and this is a real effect that can happen, they can build up an immunity to that poison in a process Ooh. called mithriditism, which is. A ridiculous thing and it actually does work it um, is actually how we create antidotes we load a horse or a cow or a large animal up with the poison we want an antidote for and, and not <laughs> enough to kill them it's really cruel to the animal I, I have to admit it's not nice um, but it works and slowly they build up an immunity and then the immunity um, just comes in the form of antibodies and that is what the antidote is for a poison and so they can extract it from the blood and then use it um, to, to save help someone's others life. Are, right, yeah. I see. So it's a re- it is a real thing and it is something that is used, I think, still today. I don't think there's any better way of creating antidotes other than this method, which is sad for the horses. But if it can save people's lives, I guess it balances out. Um, yeah, and- that's quite a tricky uh, <laughs> thing to go down. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but that's what the idea was thousands of years ago for these women, that they would become immune to this poison and the reason for this is that it becomes a perfect avenue for to become a poisoner so that these women could enter the court of these other kings or these people you want to take out they could become very close to them become um, lovers of them and in a enclosed situation a private setting they could both drink from a same bottle of wine and that could be a poison bottle and obviously the the king or the target is put at ease because they see the woman, this fisher can, you're drinking the drink and being fine because they can, they've yeah. got the antidote inside them. They haven't, it doesn't appear that they've been poisoned. They don't have any symptoms or anything. They didn't seem like they took anything else to give themselves an antidote because it's already inside them. And then this king very happily drinks away a poison. And so this is the way they went about it, which is such a strange and clever and underhanded way of taking out a target. What um, do you know? Which uh, poisons they were using? Was there any sort of ind- indication, or is it too long ago to know? Well, it's it's obviously it's hard to say exactly, but it would have most likely, I think, been snake poisons because obviously there were many poisonous snakes in 
India, cobras oh, and that sort of thing. So it would be yes. that type. And actually that gives them, um, it's re- it's sort of readily available. Um, it gives them, because po- yeah, poison has always been used, but it, it requires you to be around places in nature which can provide poisons. Terrifying too. Yes, it's it's really they're really it's quite it's quite scary. Unfortunately, it's probably a bit sad for the women. It doesn't seem like these women were volunteers. It seems much more like they were chosen and sent because of their looks, or perhaps because they were just able to survive the process. It doesn't seem like the process is guaranteed to work in everyone, and it's no, it's, it's, quite, it's quite a horrific idea that these women would be kept and slowly poisoned and. I can't, you know, medicine not being anywhere near um, what it is today, today back then. If the, if it didn't work, they would just die and die a quite horrible death because the poisons back then are paralyzing vicious. and, yeah, really vicious stuff. Um, but some of them would survive and would go on to be these living weapons that rulers could use to... And it's a bit unsure how often they were used. The difficulty is because, obviously, the history of this area is so hard to... It's so hard to pin down because everything's in legends, but they certainly appear in a lot of legends. So it seems unlikely they wouldn't, they would have completely been made up. And they are also recorded in this book, this Arthur Shastra, which is a manual for statecraft. It isn't meant to be a story. It's meant to be helpful for the a guide, a manual. A guide. Yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. written by a very well-educated man. So you'd imagine it must be, there must be some truth in this. There's also another side to this, which might be leading to legend that the idea that the Vishakanya would consume so much poison that they themselves would become poisonous, that their a kiss or their touch or their bodily fluids would become poisonous. And that is how they assassinated um, Oh, men. that's terrifying. It, that's really <laughs> scary. I mean, that's... that's which you know. Well, I guess that's poison ivy, isn't it? I mean, it sorry is, for well, those that, people who don't like comic books, but like yeah, poison ivy, the, that's... The Batman must... villain, poison ivy, that is... I've actually... Uh, yeah, I did a bit of research into that. So poison ivy is based on a um, story, an Italian story about a a scientist who has a garden full of poisons and his daughter consumes so many of them that she becomes poisonous. Um, this was very right. similar to the story of Poison Ivy. But that story is is most likely based on these Vishakanya from ancient India. So it's a kind of a ah. second hand based on um, for Poison Ivy, which is, which is really great. I mean, you know... So the... it goes all the way through to modern day, all the way through. It's still yeah, in our yeah. sort of in our culture our zeitgeist our, our, or our i mean our legends because modern day superheroes are just they're just our versions of legends and back then they, they were just as interested in the same things you know daring yeah. heroes fighting monstrous beings which is exactly i mean i don't think i don't think they had a batman back then but they would have had heroes <laughs> and and we would have been fighting these because they were they were seen as slightly monstrous and demonic and evil um, agents of death yeah yeah i mean you know if they're if a mere touch can kill them it's this kind of still bad view that people used to have of women that they could be that their seductive powers were evil and that you know you need to be avoid them which is something that's prevalent in a lot of um history across the world sadly and yes. probably isn't helped when they were actually fed a you know a diet of poison so they actually became immune but as yeah. as, as far as i'm aware it, that is them becoming poisonous themselves is impossible there are some uh, dark tree frogs that can do it that eat um, bugs and turn those and turn the acids and the the chemicals within bugs and use them and can make their skin poisonous but as far as i'm aware it is not possible for humans to become do not try this at home kids yes please don't try it at home although if i mean 
No, don't try. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, we are not going anywhere with that. That's the policy that we're going for. <laughs> don't try this at home. Don't try this at home. But there is a story of a man who did try it at home. A man no. named Bill Hast, who was the owner and operator of the Miami Serpentarium. And so this is, you know, in like the 70s. So really okay. recent. Um, and a serpentarium is just a snake zoo. He experimented on himself um, this, using this process of mythoiditism and dosed himself with venom from cobras and slowly built up an immunity. So he used the antidotes and he used, um, he used the poisons to slowly build up his own immunity. And he actually became a bit of a hero. He saved over 20 people from snake bites. Because by being wow. able to transfuse his blood, because unlike with horse blood, where you have to pull it out and extract the antibodies and do all sorts of biological processes to make it, you know, viable for humans, his blood yeah. is human blood. Bit issue, bit of an issue if it's not the same type, but I, I assume we can work <laughs> their way around that. But can you imagine blood, that? Yeah, I mean, he runs up a to healthy. a snake bite victim. I've been smitten by a snake. I'm going to die. It's like, wait, wait. <laughs> Are you universal? Is your blood yeah, universal? Yeah. Oh, it's I not. Mean, oh, shame, shame. I can't. You'd, ho- you'd hope he would be universal blood type. Otherwise, this may have been. And to be fair, I mean, he must have been. If he if he saved twenty people's lives, the chances that he <laughs> yeah. just happened to be how many must... people died because they yeah, had yeah, yeah, the yeah, same his... blood group. The antibodies <laughs> saved them, but the, his his blood itself was poisonous. Um, yeah. But yeah, so this guy became he's a bit of a hero. That he so he's so like he's like the sort of antithesis of poison ivy. Then he was yeah, like, he, he used his powers for good. <laughs> yes, exactly. He did. He did. He's actually in the Guinness Book of World Records, um, most number of snake bites and survived. I guess which apparently one hundred and seventy two. God, so he's, he, he must have had a death wish. Honestly, he's a bit of a superhero <laughs> or supervillain. I don't know. He's sort of one step away from being a supervillain. But um, yeah, chaotic evil. No, chaotic good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something like that. But anyway, so back to the Vishakanya. So, like I said, it's a bit shaky on finding hard history about the times they're being used. But the most, uh, the the best piece of evidence we have for them being used is a tale um, that took place in around 300 BCE in the northern Indian subcontinent after uh, the death of Alexander the Great. And it's still a bit unsure exactly the history here there it's sort of a pulling well i'm kind of pulling together from four separate stories or legends that come from the different cultures of the time um, and these cultures yeah. are largely based on religion so there's a buddhist um tradition for this story there's a uh, jain tradition for this story which is, i believe an ancient religion there's kashmiri traditions as well they all talk okay. about the same sort of story and the and their own political leanings put a spin on it depending on who's the bad guys and who's the good guys um so and it starts with this man who wrote the Arthashastra, Chanakya. So okay. Chanakya, well-read man, philosopher, very um, well-respected man of the time. He was living at the time within the kingdom of Magadha, which is in northern India, which was under the rule of the Nanda dynasty. And the king at the time was a man called Dana Nanda. And he wasn't a great guy. Wasn't a great king. A lot of people weren't huge fans of him. Um, he was he, he was sort of very brash. He wasn't a very good ruler. He was kind of weak. People suspected he wasn't actually of the royal line. So this may have been like just like propaganda. Um, but he was largely disliked, and especially by Chanakya. They had had a interaction which, and Chanakya had been banished from the realm. He'd been called ugly by the king, and so Chanakya wasn't a big fan of this guy. And so he decided. Ugly. as you do, <laughs> to take down and end the Nanda dynasty. He just decides, 
I don't like this guy. I think I could do a lot better of ruling or perhaps my protege, a man called Chandragupta, would be a much better ruler and together we could build a better empire. And this, this Dhananda guy, he's not all that. Let's get rid of him. We don't need him. Ooh. Let's, let's end the Nanda dynasty. And that is essentially what they do. They raise an army. They begin attacking uh, Dhananda's land. Um, and it's, it's led by Chandragupta. So Chanakya is the sort of man behind the king. The scene. Um, oh, he's got the yeah. strings. He's the, he's yeah, the yeah, he's puppet master. master. He's very sort of little finger. Whereas Chandragupta is this bold hero. Um, he's quite a young man at the time. He's he's met Alexander the Great. Some, some even say he was um, sort of educated within um, Alexander's inner circle. He was cool. a, he was a man who was considered to be born to be a ruler, despite actually probably being from quite a humble background. Although the reports differ, some people actually say he was related to the um, Nanda dynasty. But these okay. two, so Chanakya is intent on bringing the end of the Nanda dynasty, and so he and Chandragupta begin this rebellion against them and they but they need allies they need a strong ally because their forces aren't enough they actually have a few losses against Dhananda and so they need to have a strong ally so they go to another kingdom uh, which is around present-day Nepal and ask King Parvatak and he agrees to join Chandragupta and Chanakir in their war against Dhananda but he demands half the spoils he demands half the land, half the riches, Oof. half everything, which is, you know, a big ask. But I suppose he is lending his aid and putting his own men at risk. So it's not hugely. I can, you know, I don't think that's fine. You can ask for you a think lot. Half and half? Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. And and together they are able to now that with a united front and with a much larger army, they are able to uh, take over Dhananda's city. Which is... Oh, they do it. So they, it's a successful campaign. They bloody well do it. Yeah. So the capital oh, okay. city of the Dhananda is the Pataliputra, which I think I'm saying right. Apologies, I might be saying a lot of these names wrong. Um, no, you're doing a great job. <laughs> yes, but they they succeed, and in 322 BCE um, they take the capital. Ah. And there's huge celebration. Um, the the end of this this dynasty, which had been going on for years and was liked at the time, but this king didn't have the support of the people, didn't have the support of his his noble class. People were rejoicing at the end of his reign. Okay. And was and he so, imprisoned? Well, here's where it gets really it gets interesting, and where we get most interested in the story, because. Dhananda had some daughters. He had a number of daughters who he had, uh, who had he had protected towards the end of their. They were all safe, so they had been captured at the end. But very few people were aware of this, or maybe no one was aware of this, that his daughters had been raised as Vishakanya. So they had been ah. raised on a diet of poisons and were now immune themselves to poisons, or if you believe the legends, were in fact poisonous themselves. Wow. That's and, a real stinging thing about their personality. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a very strange thing to do. I guess maybe to protect his daughters, to maybe uh, protect them from... Or to stop them marrying. He might yeah, be, like, yeah. jealous. Very, he might be a, a jealous dad. It is a very possessive thing and kind of a creepy thing. Um, yeah. But, you know, 322 BC, who knows what's going hey, on Hey, we can't judge everyone on, their, on today's values. We can't judge. I mean, maybe we can judge them, you know, poisoning your daughters to... For, for what end... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're in the capital 
King Parvatak and Ch Chandragupta are these conquering heroes, and Chanakir is acutely aware that this empire he's about to create with his protege is about to be cut in half and about to be taken away by King Parvatak. Oh yes, and his ally. Yes, his ally, and therefore not someone he can really go against. You know, the the his King Parvatak's men will still be in the city. It would yeah. look awful if 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 they moved against him now, even though a large empire is what Chanakir dreams of. So Dhananda is allowed to go into exile with his family and with his daughters, but he decides to leave two of his daughters um, and offer them up as brides to these two new conquering heroes, Chandragupta and King Parvatak, which is ah. interesting. Yeah, interesting um, concept to, to do. I can see why that they want to do that though. From if I was Chandragupta or King Parvatak for that matter, um, you want to be able to legitimize your reign. If you're not from the yeah. royal line, if you're using the the, the sort of conquered the conquered uh, dynasty's daughters as a way of because then your sons, your eventual sons, would it then legitimizes have royal your blood. yeah your rule and it's and yeah. and you know from Dhananda's point of view, then his descendants still go on as rulers. He might still see himself as continuing his line that the yeah. that the Nanda dynasty kind of continues through them. But Chanakir is um also aware of these matches and actually he's the ones he agrees to them. So he's kind of this puppet master, kind of in control of what's everything going on in the capital. And he agrees to these matches and Chandragupta marries one of the daughters and appear to be very happy. It's unclear whether she goes on to be his um, his queen or his empress um, when his when he comes into his own, um, but he certainly is happy with her and stays with her. However, okay. the other daughter, when she marries King Parvatak, the marriage ceremony is presided over by Chanakir, and there's this huge festival, um, huge celebrations for the marriage, um, and the, everyone's very happy. Everyone gets very drunk, and then at some point, Parvatak starts looking a little queasy. Starts looking Peaky. a little. Little, yeah, little, little uneasy. Starts to sweat, which you know is probably quite. There's a lot of fires and stuff like that. But sweat a bit too much, and so he kind of takes away. He, 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 um, he recuses Withdraws. himself. You know, he he moves away, um, and then when he's out of out of shot, he collapses. And the only people who are Ooh. with him at that time are Chanakir and Chandragupta, and presumably his wife. Although I'm not unclear what happens to her. Which is a bit, it's probably a, the worst part of this tale is that we very, we don't really know what happened to the women in this, but King Parvatak yeah. is in distress and Chandragupta goes is about to go and find someone to help, and Chanakir stops him, and whether or not he is just an opportunist or perhaps he had something to do with this, Chanakir now realizes that half the empire that was about to be taken away can suddenly be theirs through through on the face of it no fault to their own, and. That's what happens. King Parvatak is so left sneaky. to die. It is very sneaky. So the the daughters of um, Dhananda were Vishakanya, or at least some of them were. And if you're Chanakir and you're, you know, you've you've written a book on spycraft. You're you're the you're the spider of of this of this world. You're the little finger of this world. You probably yeah. have a great idea of what's going on, and perhaps you know that Dhananda's daughters are Vishakanya. In fact, you know that only some of them are. And as the one who is the matchmaker and the ones who preside over the marriage, maybe you ensure that your protege is the one who gets the poison-free... Non-poisonous one. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> the non-poisonous bride. And this 
this other king who's just getting in the way and he wants to take half what you consider to be now your new empire. Maybe let him. I think that's marry. so harsh on King Parvatak. I mean, it okay, I don't know. What unbelievably the guy was like. harsh on King, King Parvatak. I mean, yeah, we don't know. We don't know anything about him. Maybe he wasn't. He gets a approached. Nice Maybe he was a great king up in Nepal. He's having a great time. Then these opportunists turn up and they're like, "Hey, can you help he, us out taking out the the Nanda dynasty?" And then at the end of it, he is hmm. killed. It's just awful. Yeah, that's just such a well, hard I deal. Mean, to be fair, we don't know that Chanakya planned it. I mean, I'm reading into this because, you know, I like I love it. and I like political intrigue. I definitely, I seemed... oh no, Chanak here definitely did this. Yes. I mean, that's that, That's what we can only assume, that he's he's smart enough to realise the opportunity. Um, it, what's interesting is that actually it's his decision that allows Dhananda to be allowed to go into exile, which is interesting because he started this whole thing after being insulted by this man. And so it would be strange for him to just let him go and kind of get away with it because he can kind of go off into the woods and live a happy life unless he well, knew unless he was to, i mean well he still loses his kingdom but maybe there the was shame a, yeah very true but maybe there was a deal know. made maybe there was yeah. something something out there and chanaki is a pragmatist and he's not he's not out for revenge he wants an empire and he realizes in that moment that once dandanda has been deposed he could actually be an ally to him and he could use yeah. Dhananda's obvious dislike of Parvatak and Chandragupta as the reason for getting rid of this annoying ally who is just going to take half the land. And what's really sad is actually, so the Chandragupta goes on to become this emperor and starts the Maurya Empire, which is one of the largest empires, I think the largest continuous empire ever to rule over that part of the world. Because even, oh, wow. even today's India doesn't have as much... Um, square mileage as the Chandragupta Empire at its height. Um, wow. It even actually encompasses um, King Parvatak's old kingdom. So it, they oh. they annex his <laughs> land. I think it's a number of years after, but so it's really. I mean, he, so he's, it's the birth of a. It's basically like the origin story of the Maria Empire. Exactly. It all is started 100%. from all starting from the poisoning uh, these poison damsels, as they're called, of Ishikanya. Yeah. Yeah, they were I the mean, birth it, of the empire. Because you know the the war because they they defeated the the Nanda dynasty um, through yeah. battle and through honourable means. But if half of the land and half of the rich had been taken away, they may not have become the empire they became. And so it, yeah, yeah, their empire started because of this deception and this poison, this poisoning. So yeah, that's fascinating. I really like is, that. It's a it is a remarkable tale, and it is it is very strange, and it's such an interesting part of history because of obviously you have this this in the aftermath of um, Alexander the Great's conquest of most a huge chunk of the world, and it never quite got that far. And there's really interesting. There's a hint that he was actually um, warned of these poison damsels of these Vishakanya. Alexander was warned of these Vishakanya, and that's why yeah. he never went as far as he did, which you know up in the air he'd stretch himself pretty thin and i'm sure if 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 actual you know alexander the great historians are listening i'm sure there's a hundred reasons he didn't he didn't move on but it's yeah it's an interesting thing and actually there's a historian who i believe is alive today um who wrote a book all about it and he suggested that actually one of these vishikanya if the if the regions had been taken over by alexander the great wanted to kill him the Vishakanya would have been a perfect tool because the Macedonians, the Greeks, they're having orgies every day. It would have been so easy <laughs> to sneak in 
some uh, uh, one of these women into them and poison them. And it would be very difficult for them to, you know, the, the, they were Greek heroes. They could fight in battle, but this was such an underhanded, clever. Isn't there? Yeah. Isn't there um, one? I, I really don't know much about Alexander the Great. But isn't there a theory that he was poisoned? Yes. Yeah, so he he died of an illness. He, you know, he right. wasn't killed in battles. So he died. Something. So some people think he caught something, which is the I think the presiding theory that he just caught a, an illness. But that doesn't that doesn't rule out the chance that actually he was poisoned. And so, and you know, this is really over the top thinking. Perhaps he he was the victim of one of these Vishakanya. There's no real evidence for that. But these women so they're, they're, appeared they're to like... have existed at this time. Yeah. And then one of these these great heroes. These great rulers of the land of this time was killed possibly by poison, and and it's it's I mean it's not too far. It's in Babylon, which I'm not Babylon's sure um, uh, sort of the Middle East, sort of halfway to India. <laughs> yeah, From... so maybe it doesn't quite work out fully. I mean, we'll put, we'll, you... we'll put a map in the um, in even the so. Things. The idea that these the Vishakanya were. I mean, they were sort of empire enders and empire. the birth of empires come out of their mm. actions. I mean, it's so sad that we don't know anything else about them other than what's been reported. That's you know, what I, that, I mean, that is what I feel like the tragedy of this is, is that actually these women aren't, are most likely not, you know, it's not like the assassins from the previous episode who were, they might not have believed in their cause and they may have just been forced into it. They were, they were, they were little more than sort of slaves and were forced to do this. They would have been killed. And there's very little that explains what would have happened to them after they um, yeah. had succeeded in their job? Because, I mean, chances are they would have been punished, and they would have been assumed to be the, to be, be the guilty party. They're not the the way they work isn't to get them out alive. They are sort of they're a weapon. They they are they are just a weapon to be disposed when they're needed. It's unlikely they would have been able to get out alive. They, all they need to do is to lower the guard of the ruler or the target so that they can be poisoned. It really dehumanizes them to to sort of think about them as a weapon. It's a bit like sort of imagining them as sort of an arrow. Once you fired the arrow, you don't then go and take it out and use it again. It's probably mm. broken in the in the. Pro- Do you know what I mean? It's very. It's yeah. It's it's mm. as you say. It turns them into a weapon, and that is very sad. And it's uh, it's. I mean, because the tale that we that we read from is, and it's you don't know where they've come from. It's it. I mean, these ones. I, I mean, it'd be it'd be interesting to know. There's so little written about them, and I'd love to. I'd love to. If, there was more we could find out about them because these were the ones in the in the story were daughters of a king. So they yeah, but even them, insane. even the ones at the very top of the hierarchy in this ancient world, we don't actually have their names, do we? No, uh, well, they're I just find them. I, I, yeah, I sort mean, of daughter one and daughter two. Yeah, they're just they're just they're, they're like you say they're they're arrows they're, they're they're ammunition they're just to be used and spent and tossed aside, which is which is perhaps the real tragedy here. I mean, it's it's it, it, it's weird, but it, it it does seem like they have the the worst the, the also... worst of it really. And it, there's also no guarantee that when they drink the poisoned wine to um, show when they drank or whatever they did, there's no guarantee they would actually survive that. It may have just given the their antidote in their bodies may have given them time to keep it down and to appear to be okay long enough so that because they wouldn't need much time. They you know they'd be drinking together. They maybe just need to show that they're not poisoned for. A couple minutes before yeah. um, before their target would take a drink, and then after then, their job is done and they are not needed anymore. And there's a chance they may have died anyway from the poison. And actually, the the process was merely to get them to the point where they could drink it and not show visible signs immediately. 
Yeah. So God. it's yeah, it's 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 a sad tale, but it's a it's it's extraordinary. These strange assassins of this of this time period and of this region of the world. Um, that yeah, I think I think the the it's the same thing with the assassins from last week, where their legend is what carries them forward, and the fear is what the fear of these women, yeah, the the, the that mythology reputation. that's built around them. I mean, if if it's if it's true, that might be why Alexander the Great never went that far because he was scared of these these women the who he would not he would not be able to he couldn't beat them in battle and, and you know yeah but i mean unlike last week they're they're not a cult as such they are they're sort of individuals who are you know what i mean they're not an organization they well they, they the they're Visha used Kanya by they're used by men they're used by the other rulers they're used by chanakir to well we yeah. think either used by chanakir or by down and under or both most likely actually to to rid them to rid the the great men in power of other great men in power. And it's just sad that yeah. we only know about the great men in power and we don't know about these these women who are the ones who did it and the ones who had to put up with all this. And so it'd be... Yeah. It's, it's extraordinary. And then, you know, in mythology, they become more monstrous. They become a bit more like Medusas. You know, they're, they're poisoned. They're sort of snake people. There's lots of mythology around um, snake people and snake women that crops up in all sorts of things. And, and also, actually, poisonings are... If if um if a woman is going to kill someone, I've heard, I've read this somewhere. A man would use a gun, but a woman would use poison. Poison used to be known in the Victorian. I think it was in the Victorian period. Poison was known as the women, the woman's dagger. Really, that it was a yeah. It's quite a common trope in yeah. in literature as well. Well, I guess it's that it it you know it's that women can be disarming. It's like what we were saying earlier, where it's a silent killer. Yeah. It's a silent killer. It's someone you're not expecting, and they can get in close without being detected. Um, and and then also a poison doesn't take a huge amount of skill. It doesn't. You just need to be able to pour it. You just need a bit of sleight of hand, I guess. Um, and in this, it doesn't even need sleight of hand because they can drink the poison themselves. They don't need to be clever with you know, switching no. around mugs or pouring it in all those clever ways you see in spy films. They yeah. Can just drink it themselves. They can bring a bottle of wine, take a swig and give it to the give it to the ruler. Or if the legends yeah. leave, just kiss them. Or other things, which I assume is where some of this comes from. Because that's I mean that's what I believe Poison Ivy does in Batman. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's a very, very interesting tale. And it's a very weird type of assassin. It's very different from last week where they are like you said, they're they're not the they're not the driving force. They're not the ones with the ideals who are going after people. They are just tools to be used and tossed aside. Yeah. Which is very sad for them. And probably the, that's the main tragedy. I mean, you know, it's sad that King Parvatek lost all his land, but he's, you know. I think, yeah. He did yeah, invade it's, it's, another country and probably killed lots of men doing it. So we can't be too sad for yeah. him. The impact was huge. And that's that's part of the legend. That's the thing. I think it's fascinating, that whole thing. Uh, but yeah, that was really cool. Okay, so we have now come to the end of the sort of main part of the podcast. Um, and we have spoken about this and we kind of want to include a segment every week where we take a closer look at some element to the assassination story or some interesting detail um, that we wanted to look into a bit more. So we'll be both bringing something to the table for this closer look segment. Um, and this week we have taken a sort of deeper look into poisons and other poisoning assassinations through time. Um, so, Will, do you want to go first? Sure, yeah. So earlier in the podcast, I heard you mention um, that the the process by which you 
um, immune your, you become immune to poisoning is mithridicism, mm-hmm. which is very hard to say. That comes from, uh, the term comes from a king uh, of a Greek Persian kingdom known as Pontus. Uh, right. The king's name was Mithridates or Mithridates the fifth. Oh, wow. Oh, sorry, the sixth. Yeah, Mithridates the sixth. What a thing to have named after you. <laughs> I know, I know. So he was a ruler. He was born in 135 BCE and in into modern-day northern Turkey. Uh, the kingdom of Pontus sort of was a would border Alexander the Great's Macedonia and Greece. So it's on the Black Sea, and it, it would have uh, gone right round the side of it. So it was on the eastern edge of it, where Georgia and the Crimea and Armenia are. That's that sort of end of it. That's where Pontus Kingdom was. And they were they were sort of uh, an aftermath of because Alexander the Great obviously marched all the way to India, as you mentioned. And in its in its path, the Greek the Alexandrian Empire was created. So he'd leave Greek people to colonize. And then mm-hmm. when he died, um, all of these little kingdoms basically emerged because it fractured. The empire didn't last after Alexander the Great died. And one of mm. these was Pontus. So Pontus, uh, King Mithridates VI, was the eldest child of King Mithridates V. And I know. And, and what's interesting about him was uh, his father was poisoned and killed at a banquet that he had organized when his son was 15 years old. So from wow. the very beginning of his life, he'd seen the death of his predecessor, his father. And By so poison. he always had, yeah, and he always had a uh, a fear of poison. That's really obvious. Uh, I think he was just terrified of it. And so actually after, after his father had been poisoned, his mum became regent and actually plotted to kill her son. So he fled. Oh so my he God. flees the country. Proper yeah. family drama here. You can imagine how awkward Christmas was that year. Oh. Um, but yeah, so, but then he goes away and he kind of goes to he goes to Athens and he gets an education and gets a bit tanked up and a bit stronger and he comes back four years later and he comes back and he imprisons his mum and takes power and his mum actually dies in prison a few years later so that didn't go very well for her. For her. But wow. anyway, this this sort of beginning to his life basically meant that he was always terrified of being poisoned. So, a bit like the Vishakanya, and maybe from legends that he heard about the Vishakanya, uh, mm. he would uh, make sure he would eat uh, a whole load of poison. He beca- began to immunize himself wow. um, to a whole variety of different poisons. So not the same ones as the snake poisons of, of India, but more the ones that we see in today. So uh, hemlock... Belladonna, Deadly Nightshade. That would have been a These horrible the... time. He would have been ill all the time. But obviously not enough to kill him, just enough to start building yeah, I communities. Think he, he was a clever man. He was very much a militaristic man, but he comes from a, a, a long line of um, intelligent kings. It almost makes you think, given that this is after, this is you know a few hundred years after the Vishkenet, that this must have been like a well-established like scientific process that people understood and that it was used in different ways and maybe maybe like you know experience with you know snake merchants or snake tamers or anyone like that who had been attacked and had slowly built up immunity and it was just like an understanding that you could do this and that people could yeah and that maybe it may actually, well be maybe the vishkanya were just merely people realizing this could be a tool to use as assassins and actually the process of Although it obviously wasn't called Mithridatism back then because the guy wasn't alive no. yet. Um, no. But this process of immunitizing yourself was understood 
to a, a much higher degree than very, I originally very, thought. Very possibly, yeah. And I yeah. think that by the time you get to sort of the Middle Ages, you have tasters for a reason, people who can actually die on command, you know, so to replace that. Well, that's the simpler <laughs> it's, it's way better. of doing it, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, do you really want to spend your life eating things that could potentially kill you and probably tasted foul as well? Mm. Like, there's a reason why it's poison. <laughs> it's not meant to taste good. Um, but anyway, so what happens to him is he has, uh, he marries six different wives and that must have kept him busy. Uh, one of whom was actually his younger sister because he oh. wanted to keep the bloodline pure. Yeah, I know. Of course he did. It's just the times, you know, that's just what they did. Um, <laughs> it's very um, Targ- not Targaryen. No, Targaryen. Yeah, no, Targaryen. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Or Lannister. Or anyone or Lannister. in that book. Yeah, yeah true. Um, but anyway, so um, Mithridates, uh, after taking control of the kingdom, uh, manages to conquer all the neighbouring uh, neighboring kingdoms, including modern-day Turkey and the Crimea, and actually at one point makes it all the way to Greece and starts to take Greece. Now, at the time, Rome was on the rise, and you had the likes of Pompey, Crassus, you know, it's proper Spartacus time. You had Caesar, mm-hmm. Caesar was around. And so he comes into contact with the Romans and fights three deadly wars against the against Rome. Okay. And he, he loses the first one, but then the Romans had to rush back to Rome for a reason. He then sort of the, the people who were left there, that's kind of the second war, it's sort of like to hold off Mithridates, he destroys those Romans. So then the third war is when the Romans go, oh, for God's sake, that headache in Greece, we've got to go back. So then they go back and it takes 10 years <laughs> to kill Mithridates, or not, sorry, to defeat Mithridates' forces. And it takes Pompey, of all people, wow. uh, to come in and destroy them. And I worked out that in total, Mithridates fought against the Romans for 26 years and killed as many as 100,000 Roman soldiers. Oh, my God. Which is quite incredible. Now, those figures are interesting because um, all the sources that we have on Mithridates come from Roman sources. So despite the fact that you've got, you know, obviously they would be biased, you'd, you'd imagine they'd be biased towards Rome, but they actually, they're very good at considering how how well fought the the enemies of Rome were you know what I mean wow um, so so they're inter- uh, interested then, in seeing what the other side are doing yeah exactly now when it comes to his death this is where Mithridatism comes from and why I've chosen to talk about him in this closer look so uh, we get the, he he's been beaten finally by Pompey and he's he's fled to an island and he's decided he wants to end his life but essentially what happens is he asks. He tries to take poison to, to kill himself and he tries to get his family members, including his daughters, to kill themselves with poison. But because he'd been on this diet of poison for so many years, because he was so scared of it, he actually botches it. He can't kill himself oh, no. that way. So uh, he, in the end, he asked one of his, his guards, who was a ghoul, I think, yeah, mm-hmm. so from modern day France, uh, to run him through with a, with a sword. So that's how he dies. Oh, God. It's so he's horrible... Just... He's just, yeah. I mean, I mean, he should have seen that coming. He spent all this time becoming immune from poisons, and then he thinks to poison himself. I know it's so strange, but anyway, so we get this account from the Roman scholar Appian of Alexandria. Okay, so here we go. Mithridates then took out some poison that he always carried next to his sword and mixed it. There, there, two do- two of his daughters, who were still girls growing up together, named Mithridates and Nisa, who had been betrothed to the kings of Egypt and of Cyprus, asked 
him to let them have some of the poison first and insisted strenuously and prevented him from drinking it until they had taken some and swallowed it. The drug took effect on them at once, but upon Mithridates, although he walked around rapidly to hasten its action, it had no effect. Because he had accustomed himself to other drugs by continually trying them as a means of protection against poisoners. These are still called the Mithridatic drugs. Seeing a certain Bituitus there, an officer of the Gauls, he said to him, I have profited much from your right arm against my enemies. I shall profit from it most of all if you will kill me and save, and save from the danger of being led in a Roman triumph, one who has been an autocrat so many years and the ruler of so great a kingdom, but who is now unable to die by poison because, like a fool, he has fortified himself against the poison of others. Although I have kept watch and ward against all the poisons that one takes with his food, I have not provided against that domestic poison, always the most dangerous to kings, the treachery of army, children, and friends. Bituitus, thus appealed to, rendered the king the service that he desired. Jesus, that's intense. I know. That is, I mean, I mean, he's lamenting that he didn't see this coming. He really should have seen this coming, that he'd made himself immune to so many poisons and then the poison didn't kill him. But yeah, so I mean, he did a good job. I mean, it shows, it proves that Mithridatism works. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. You, In a horrible so. way, obviously. Anyway, who was your, who was your closer look for the week? So, yeah, so I looked at a, a much more recent poisoning and actually it's kind of a similar story to um, Mithridates, although much more recent. So, and I mean, I, I feel like at some point we should do an entire episode on him. But uh, this this little bit is on Grigory Rasputin, who, if I'll give you a brief overview, if people aren't quite hundred percent sure of what he did, but he's this just insane man who lived in um, Russia just before the Russian Revolution. Uh, he was sort of a wandering holy man, although he wasn't actually, you know, um, he, he didn't he actually fraud, have any position he? within the church. He was he wasn't necessarily a fraud, he just wasn't he wasn't an official holy man, but he was just sort of beloved by the people for his charisma, which is strange if you look up a photo of him. Actually we'll put a photo of him on the Instagram. He doesn't look like the most charismatic or the most appealing man, but apparently he was beloved. Um he had a very deep, powerful voice. He was quite a tall man, he was just this imposing figure. And he um became a huge favourite of the Tsar and the Tsarina? Tsaress? Tsarina, yeah, no, Tsarina. So the Tsar's wife. Um, and he became very close to the to, to them, and the other noble the other nobles didn't like this because he was a peasant and he was leading them astray, um, and so they decided to kill him. And it was a there was a guy called Prince Felix Yusupov, who decided this guy's got to go. He's he's he holds too much power, and he's a peasant. You know that that, that power should be held by us nobles. So he invites <laughs> him round um, for dinner, and he serves him. Um, cakes and wines and other food and all of it is laced with potassium cyanide um, oh god which you know for perhaps for a lesser man would defeat him but rasputin is apparently unaffected by this so maybe he himself had been taking poisons who knows maybe he had been developing his immunity against poisons just like Mithridates. Oh, God. Yeah. So, so it's interesting that we've both chosen um, stories about poisoning failed where they poisoning. failed. Yeah, this is both failed poisoning. So, you know, as effective poisoning can be, it could just not work. And then they're yeah. kind of left in an awkward situation. Um, so they end up having to shoot him. 
He still doesn't die. He sort of runs away. He gets out into the corner. They shoot him again. He starts to, like, collapse. So they tie him in chains and throw him into a ice-covered river. And his body is found um, the the next day dead. He, he was unable to survive the drowning and freezing to death. So, God. yeah, so it's an intense way to kill a man. But Im- you know. Imagine that autopsy. <laughs> it's, so what it, killed him? Was it the was it the gunshot wounds? The the I mean, yeah, be, it would be mind-boggling to look through that. This behemoth of a man. Um, although I have to admit that is only the story, and there is uh, the possibility that actually the guy who killed Prince Felix, he was he's the only one who gives this account, and actually he may be inflating the sort of undying nature of Rasputin to make him seem almost demonic and evil. You know, if if, if poison and gunshots oh. weren't able to kill him. It, you know, there's something monstrous about him. So maybe it was a bit, uh, you know. And yeah. you can see that in what he looked like. I mean, he's got this massive black beard, yeah, it, those it dark kind of, eyes. It kind of lent into his, his persona as this sort of monstrous man who had control over the Tsar and his wife. Um, yeah. But it's... It, it, and I mean, you could... I mean, there's so much mad stuff about him. But they, they say that there's a... Um, because it's not long after that the Russian Revolution happens and the Tsar's end up all being shot. Um, and after the revolution, the provincial provincial government leader, Alexander Kerensky, went as far as to say, without Rasputin, there would have been no Lenin. So uh, it's so this this assassination so is, a, of power. is a big deal. But yeah, but it's it's again another case where poisoning was not enough. So if we were giving it's an un it's an unpracticed. I mean, sorry, it's a, it's an what's the word? It's it's not very precise. It's not hundred percent. It it's the yeah, air. It's yeah. not guaranteed to work. It it could go wrong depending on people. I mean, you know, it's 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 a science. It's a real medical art to be able to do this. And so, unless you're just absolutely filling them up with poison, but then I guess the balance is it would be obvious. You know, you couldn't get it into cakes and wines and stuff because it would change the flavor or taste. And so, and yeah. I assume if you quickly spat out a poison, you could probably survive. So. I don't know. What do you What do you think? Poisoning. If 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 you were an assassin, poison be your. It doesn't seem to work a huge amount. I mean, it worked against King Parvatak, but I mean, you know, and that was only in a story. I mean, who knows if it actually worked? It doesn't appear to have worked personally. Mithridates or Rasputin. No, I don't think I would. I don't know what I'd use. I don't want to even think about it to be honest. <laughs> but no, poison doesn't seem to be the most obvious route to go down if you want someone dead. No. Let's put it that way. And on that yeah. very happy note, yes, <laughs> should we um, wrap this up? Yes, we're up there. Well, thank you for everyone for listening. Don't forget, guys, we have an Instagram account um, at Cloak and Dagger Podcast, where you can see upcoming content and you can see images that are relate to the to the tales we've been telling you. Um, and you can also please rate us wherever you are hearing us from, whichever podcast platform you use. Or if you don't want to do that. Tell a friend. That could be really help out the show um, and invite more people to enjoy history with us. And we'll be coming back next week with Will's next one. Yeah, so for next week, we'll be uh, going back to the Middle East, uh, but this time to a slightly late, uh, earlier time in the Roman period, uh, where we'll be talking about the Sicarii. Ooh, so looking forward to that. So thank you very much, everyone, and we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.